Hi, you're listening to the Mobile Couch Podcast. This is a show discussing design and development in the world of iOS, and it's hosted by Caleb Thorson, the creator of Trickle, and Jake McMullen, whose work includes the ABC iView apps for iPhone and iPad. I'm Jelly, aka Daniel Farrelly, and today is the 4th of February 2013, and this is episode number one. Before we start, Caleb, can you explain the Super Bowl to me? Super Bowl. Uh, AFC versus the NFC. What is AFC? So NFC is the national football competition? No. The NFL is composed of two conferences, the AFC and the NFC. Right. So you got the American Football Conference and the National Football Conference. They're not both national? Well, they're both a a part of the NFL. They're they're just names that go back to before the NFL existed. Right. There used to be an AFL and an NFL, and there were two completely separate leagues. So they combined them, and and the playoffs at the end of the year are these two teams, all right? The two conferences, they're each side of the ladder, and then uh, what do you call it? Not a ladder, um, a bracket. And no, so, see, see, ladder made more sense to me there, but I think okay. I get that. So, so there are bracket two. Bracket is like a ladder, except with two sides to it. So there were two separate competitions once upon a time. Yeah. And they kind of merged years them. Years ago now, and they merged them. But they still keep two ladders going and yes. teams. They're, they're not only completely separate. It. Like during the regular season, NFC teams would play AFC teams and vice versa. Right, yeah. But you tend to stick within NFC. So you would play 16 games, you'll probably play 10 in your own conference and maybe, you know, 10 or 11 in your own conference, five or six in the other one. And so the Super Bowl is whoever's at the top of each conference playing against one another for the final. That's correct. Right. And so we want the NFC to win, of course. Okay, because that's your team. Well, that's my conference. All right. right. I just I just watch the ads. Yep. Yes. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, so I mean, I'm, I'm ashamed to say as well. My only knowledge of the Super Bowl is because isn't that when the Apple 1984 ad was first? That is correct. Aired? Yeah, the sledgehammer. I, yep. Yeah, I I I, I uh, track the ads every year. I I, I like uh, watching some. I I sit down and spend an hour watching just the ads on YouTube. Yes, in some years they are better than other years, but. Uh... Yeah, and some some ads are better than other ads. I'll be honest. There's there's some, some awful ads do make it through. Some duds. Uh but but usually that's where they put all their like all the advertising agencies put all their money. So you know the ads are usually uh pretty well made. So yeah. So there's been some controversy this year I gather with some ad So Caleb, I think I saw you tweeting about this. That, yeah, uh, it was quite, uh, quite offended by that. The SodaStream thing. What what is this thing? Oh, so so a SodaStream. I know what a SodaStream is. We used to have one of those as a kid. They're, they're, those are the um, they're a little device that you have in your house that you put you f- take bottles of of water and you pop it in the SodaStream and then you press a button on top and it, for a few seconds and it basically carbonates the water so that you've got right. fizzy water. So it's it's soda water then. Yeah, and then and what so, you and apparently um. Anyone who's anyone who runs a podcast has overly carbonated water, or so yeah, I've heard. It's the new coffee. The, the right. stream is. It's a. It's an indie darling. Okay. Well, I'm, so I say I'm a bit out of the loop here. But um, what's with the soda soda stream Super Bowl? So everyone was up in arms because CBS 
didn't accept a SodaStream ad. So they wanted to run a commercial during the Super Bowl, and CBS didn't allow them to. Oh, right. And that would be because, you know, Pepsi and Coke are major sponsors, obviously, big ad buyers. Yeah, okay. Be a bit of a conflict of interest. And people seem to think like that was a strange thing. Isn't that just the way that it's done? Like, I wasn't there some sportswear sponsor of the Olympics recently, and uh, it got to the point where even audience members weren't allowed to wear other sportswear clothing yeah. when attending Olympic events. Wasn't it? I, I don't know, but but it happens all the time. I mean, yeah, and and an advertiser will pay a premium and just say, you know, we're we're going to be exclusive in this category. So you know. You, if you're Coke, you might say no other fizzy drinks can advertise in this program. Or if you're Except McDonald's, Pepsi, you might say right? no other fast food. Well, apparently they're both in both in it together. Okay. I can are, imagine neither one can really afford to to buy the exclusivity against the other one. Right, but you they can buy exclusivity against any other. They're beverage. both bringing they're both bringing so much money to the table that you couldn't really keep the other one out. Right. But they could easily keep out SodaStream. Yeah, right. Okay. Oh, well, thank you for... I only caught bits and pieces of that and couldn't quite connect all the dots. That makes sense. I worked in that controversial. television ad sales for six years, so I'm like, oh, this is one thing I do I do know about. You know a lot of things about a lot I, of things. I have some authority on. on this one. Give, give yourself some here. credit. You, you okay. have some idea of what you're talking about. Um, so are we going to see uh, an Apple Super Bowl ad this year? Oh, yeah. We'll see an iPad or something, right? They usually do one, don't they? One. Yeah. No, no ma- major new genre-defining no, I think product. They, usually, they might even recycle some of their old ones for the Super Bowl. Maybe. They might have something for like the, the iPad mini or something. Yeah. They'll do that cute little piano one with the, the big iPad piano and the little iPad piano. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. People like that one. Yeah, And, and not a... Um, the introduction of the uh, much-anticipated uh, Apple TV set. I, I don't think they use the Super Bowl for, for no. any. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't think they'll use announcements. And I'm actually starting to think that that product might be completely mythical. <laughs> Has there been like any you... indication whatsoever that it exists? No, just the lots of people's wishes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But let's be honest. Well, like, I'm quite happy. I'm quite happy with the puck. Yeah, you know, I would like a puck that just plugs into a TV. The thing, so what, the thing that kind of gets me though, TV. the thing that gets me though is that the like the Apple displays are really really nice. So I can just imagine what an Apple TV display would look like. Um, I think it would be I think it would be amazing to look at. But that being said, like it, yeah, it's it's not really. It'll be super expensive, and TVs are already expensive enough. So yeah, yeah. I, I'm with you though. I think I'd quite like an Apple. I just like their design aesthetic. I like their build quality. Yeah, I'd like a TV display with that. And um, I am really happy with the buck. But uh, the, my only I've got two problems with it. It's not uh, input zero, so I've got to turn on my TV, and then I've got to switch it to the right input. And right. Um, and I can't. You know, I've still got to set, use a separate remote to adjust the volume on my TV. Right, uh, that's the only something two else problems, to change. Right? right, that's it. That's the only problem. Yeah. Which, so would, if I, which would be easy to solve if they, you know, you know, create this plug-in technology and then license it. Just yeah. like 
just like you know for the past 10 years every stereo that was ever made has had an ipod dock on it every tv yeah. could could have this apple tv plug-in so that is so you, you plug the apple tv in and now the apple tv is the brain of your tv it replaces the interface that's what i would like to see the thing so, is the thing with that is though that uh HDMI doesn't seem to be intelligent enough to be able to handle that sort of thing. One of the things that really gets me about using the Apple TV is that I have to still have... I have three remotes in order to run the thing. Uh, I have a remote that I use to turn the TV on and off if uh, when the time comes. Uh, I have a remote that I use to control the sound because the sound is taken care of through like a, an external amplifier. Mm. And then I have the Apple TV remote, which, as of the most recent update, has been replaced with a Bluetooth lap, uh, Bluetooth keyboard, because, which is amazing. I have to be honest. Uh, I don't. I don't know what the. There's not really a huge amount of difference, but uh, being able to uh, being able to just use the arrow keys and stuff, it just feels feels a lot better. And even even better uh, on the big like on the big list of like that i have of tv shows and and movies you can just hit the the, the letter that you want to you're looking for and oh, it'll just nice. immediately scroll to that point so no longer do i have to you know scroll 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 to get all the way down to s and then you know let go at exactly the right time so that it you know r- r- winds to a stop on the on the right one but i can uh, i can just hit s and then a couple of taps and i'm i'm there yeah so i think i mean <laughs> Clearly, the experience of watching a TV show could be improved, uh, and that makes you got to make you wonder if Apple's thinking about it because they tend to kind of look at you know they're not necessarily the first to come up with a particular technology. You know, they weren't the first people to make an MP3 player, um, but they kind of look at technological problems and come up with you know the really elegant solution to it. So I'm, I just I think everyone is hanging out for someone to you know make fixed TV. But, um, and uh, Netflix is also fixing it too. I've been watching that new House of Cards show. Have you heard about that? I have not. The no. Netflix original. Oh series. right, yeah, yeah. So I heard that Netflix were going to start commissioning content, kind of like HBO. Yeah, they have six new shows coming out this year. Nice. They released House of Cards yesterday, and they released all thirteen episodes at one time. Yeah, cool. so we watched about five of them today. They're doing the same thing with Arrested Development, aren't they? Yeah. The, the f- yeah. season four. Yeah, yeah the whole thing at one time, which I don't think is a good idea. But I well, it stops people from coming it. back all the time. But I, that that being said, I like I love power watching stuff. It's basically yeah. my favorite thing to do. I, I have a love hate for. relationship with it. I love it until I run out, and then I hate the fact that I've got to wait a whole year or six months or whatever till the next season. Yeah, yeah, okay. So fair, I quite I quite call. like being drip fed when I am. You know, I like. It's nice when you're kind of a season or two behind a show and you just hear about it and you can watch the first couple of seasons uh, all at once and then you kind of catch up to live and then you kind of get regular doses of it each week. The, uh, the drip like feed. That. The yeah. drip feed. Yeah. So, so not, none of us really work in an office anymore, but that's always been one of the fun parts about watching television is watching it as a community, you know? You, you, get, into, you get into work in the morning and you talk about, you know, the episode that aired last night. And I think we'll be losing that if they do this 13-episode all-at-one-time kind of deal. Cause yeah, right. People Cause won't be watching everything at the same time. Exactly, because not everyone's going to have the same amount of time to watch all 13 right. episodes as soon as they're released. No. Yeah. Yeah. 
like that, me. Yeah. See, that being said, I, I, I still I like Netflix uh, Flix's idea better because uh, I mean it, it jives, I guess, with my my ideas surrounding uh, content distribution and, and this and that sort of thing. Uh, I had a big rant about that on on Jillian uh, Bean a couple of episodes back, and yeah, I I have particular uh, ideas about how that should be done. And I like really like everything should be available to everyone, which Netflix Netflix fails on, uh, mm-hmm. sadly. Uh, all for the same same price, no matter where you are, uh, except for, you know obviously taking into account taxes, uh, but. Same price for everybody. Yeah, I, I could rant about this all day. Actually, I'm completely with you. I think that the distribution of television content is so kind of mired in the last century. It's it's basically the kind of um geo distribution thing is, I think, an attempt to kind of create an artificial scarcity for something that needn't be scarce. Yeah, so it's, it's trying to inflate the prices that um that networks, for example, are willing to pay to acquire the rights to show something right. um, by having individual negotiations with each sort of geographical jurisdiction. Yeah. Um, whereas I think I think if, if there was anyone brave enough to try the business model of, in fact, acknowledging that with digital distribution, in fact, these aren't scarce resources at all, you could just make as many copies as you want, distribute them to as many people as you like and just charge, you know, 10 or 20 cents perhaps. Um you know, I think I'm sure they'd probably still make the same amount of money because people would just get it on mass as opposed to, yeah, trying to uh, eke out the biggest price they can for a network to pay for the rights to broadcast it over free to air or cable or whatever. Right. I'm yeah. No, totally. Did you see uh, a couple of weeks ago? I ran into a. You know how, and I'm sure Caleb, you know all about this. Uh, you know how there are those. Um, like proxies and stuff that you use to so that you can pretend that you're in a different country so you can use services like Hulu and Netflix. I ran into one the other day which has a pl- which is a plugin for your browser which is basically uh, I, I, mean, I, I use Chrome so uh, I know it works on that but it, I think there's a plugin for like Safari and Firefox as well uh, called I'm gonna go with Ola. I think it might have a silent H. Hola. Okay. Hola. Hola. If hola. It's Spanish, it's hola. Well, it's H-O-L-A and then exclamation point. Oh, uh, that might be hola. Yeah, maybe. Uh, it's called... Anyway, it's uh, hola unblocker. And it's it, like, adds... Uh, it, it's, it, it basically unblocks those sites, like, takes away the region blocking without having to set up your entire computer and, like, your whole browser and stuff to go through to that like to to that site like to send it through a proxy apparently it's faster than other proxies too i haven't really used it i've ch- I've, tr- I've checked to see that it works because it does and i sat down and watched like five minutes of um shows on on hulu so having you know worked on iview and everything i couldn't possibly say that that sounds awesome um <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah well it's good but it sounds awesome uh, it yeah, it, well, I mean, it, it is a bit silly though that we have to jump through these hoops so that we can pay for Netflix and pay for Hulu. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, this just this unblocks, do, this unblocks heaps of stuff. It unblocks Hulu, Netflix. It unblocks Pandora, which we can't get here either. It unblocks iPlayer, mm. a bit from BBC. 
Which we can get here if, we're, if you want to pay for the global iPlayer. Yeah. Um, which has got slightly different content. But this unblocks the actual iPlayer, mm. which means that you can, like, for instance, uh, Doctor Who so, is basically streaming on that, like, almost immediately after it airs. Yeah, so I, I can kind of see both sides of this. Um, you know, like, obviously, people that are put content online for, for streaming um, have got to pay for the bandwidth somehow. Um, and, you know, places like you know, the BBC with iPlayer are obviously uh, covering their costs through tax revenue or, or sorry, through the TV licence fee. So in the UK, um, the public broadcaster is, is funded by public money. But unlike here in Australia where it just comes out of general taxation revenue, in the BBC there's a specific licence fee charged if you own a television set. Um, and that licence fee is distributed amongst the public broadcasters. So the bulk of it goes to the BBC, but I think someone like ITV or Channel 4 gets right. some as well. Yep. Um, and so that's what's covering uh, the costs of the bandwidth to distribute iPlayer to people who live in the UK. Um, and if everyone outside the UK started using that same service, um, you know, the costs covering that bandwidth have got to come from somewhere. So I'm not, I'm not trying to defend geo-blocking. I, I, I think it's completely painful, but I do think there needs to be some... Basically, I think most people would be probably happy to pay to access good content, just so long as the price is low and, the, you know, and we're given some easy way to actually hand across that payment and get the content. Yeah, and I, I, think, I think... I mean, I'm, I, I would agree with you. I... Like I understand that you know it's it's it, like they they already pay the, uh, the the fee and all that sort of stuff like as as part of their tax I guess or, or whatever it is, uh, but I mean the, the 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 fact of the matter is is that if the if you can pay, if you can pay to get the global one but the global one has different content mm. that's that's where it, that's where it, I draw the line like I I I'm happy to pay for content and in fact I do like if if at all mm. possible and for shows that I really enjoy. Uh, even prior to having like this this thing installed, which I haven't really made use of, uh, I, I use my American iTunes account to to buy the seasons of it. Right. Uh, so but even I, that, like, it's amazing you've got to actually have an account in multiple iTunes stores. Yeah, it's a pain. It's a pain. Um, some other jurisdiction in order to pay, legitimately pay for content. Yeah, it's, just, it's yeah, you have to illegally sign up for an account to legitimately pay. Yeah. Allegedly. Hypothetically, all of this is purely hypothetical. Right, of course. Yeah, uh, of course. I didn't just say that I have one. Completely <laughs> no, uh, Yeah, no. I, I didn't say anything about the fact that I might maybe torrent TV shows. Uh, <laughs> wow. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think, I think that yeah, it has to be like for true. Like for for real like content distribution to be truly uh, good, correct. I don't know what the word to use there is. It has to be that everybody gets the same content, no matter where they are, and they if that there should be a like obviously you have to, somebody has to pay for that, and that's mm. that's fine. Like I I don't think that we should get everything for free, and up until now, uh, all of that sort of stuff has been paid for with like advertising on on television, right? Mm. Uh, you know, for the most part, um, obviously the BBC doesn't necessarily do that sort of thing, but uh, or at least not in the same way as like a you know Seven or uh, or, or you know Prime or whatever he does here. 
or CBS with their with their Pepsi and Coke giant advertising deals. Yeah, right. So I mean, advertisers pay for pay for the content, uh, and like it's weird to see ad. Like I, I I've uh, it's been so long since I watched TV on TV. It's it's weird to see. Uh, it's weird when I see advertise advertising because it's just it just kind of throws me for a, a loop. So it, it's like it's one. I think, but I think that everybody should be able to see the same content for the same same cost, uh, no matter where they are. And in, in the case of the BBC, I, w- I would not be... I mean, I, I wouldn't be uh, against paying to be able to watch the shows that I want to watch from, from there on demand, um, mm. like like Doctor Who, and there's a couple other shows that we, we get from uh, from the BBC. So I think, I think the problem, just being devil's advocate, I agree with you, right? But uh, the problem is the people that make the decisions in this industry think that there's more money to be made through the traditional means of negotiating... A licensing deal with some local broadcaster for that content. So you know, the ABC right. probably acquires the rights to, to the exclusive rights to broadcast Doctor Who in Australia, and pay a certain amount for that. And that if BBC were to make that content available directly to people in Australia, then potentially the ABC would wouldn't be as happy to pay as much next time the license comes up. Right. Um, and that and would so, be fine as long as I'm not having to do anything different to what I would have to do in order to get it from the BBC in the first place. Mm. And as long as that deal stays there. As, as an example, uh, the, last, the last, well, the first half of season seven, are we on seven at the moment? Maybe eight. Anyway, the current season of Doctor Who, uh, the first half was all um, distributed on iView, basically moments after it aired in the UK. So, you know, Mm. here it's like, you know, five or whatever in the morning, on a Sunday morning. Um, And it was free and it was on iPlayer, uh, sorry, iView, like, almost immediately and you could watch it and it was, uh, I think it was standard def? Was it standard def? Yeah, iView, as far as I saw it, you know, I haven't been on that project for a while, but as far as I know, it's um, all still standard def, so... Again, budgetary things here, trying to afford the bandwidth for high-definition video. Right. It's a challenge. So, but yeah, that's actually one of the dra- drawbacks because iPlayer is, is high-def. Yeah, it is. And I've, uh, when, I was in the, <laughs> when I was in the UK, we, uh, we, we were in the, like in the middle of the, the, those last few episodes in, that, in, this, uh, in this current season. So the last couple of episodes that aired, what, September, October last year, uh, we were in Europe. And when we got to... When we got to the UK, we basically sat down in our hotel and opened up the, the laptop and started just power watching through the rest of the episodes using uh, using iPlayer. It was it was freaking amazing. It was great because mm. uh, it was all high def and stuff, so it was great. Um, but I should be able to watch it here in high def on demand, the same way as the iPlayer allows for it. Uh, and it, it is quite possible that these these exclusive contracts that they have with, you know, various networks across the world is what is paying for the show. And if they didn't have that, the show simply wouldn't exist. Yeah, yeah. That, that's why I'm so interested in what Netflix is doing and, and just seeing if it will work or not. Yeah. So, And there's more of that sort of thing as well, as well as um, people like Netflix commissioning content. My understanding is there's, uh, you know, advertisers are starting to commission their own original content in order to actually try and get, you know, try and get around the fact that people are watching uh, watching their content on different platforms that don't necessarily carry ads, that they're commissioning 
content itself in the, the, the hope that you'll actually watch that content and in doing so, you know, engage with the brand and buy their stuff. Mm. Which mm. is, yeah, fascinating. Hey, um, when we were talking about the possibility of doing a iOSC kind of podcast, I um, actually tweeted to, you know, the few people that follow me, uh, if we were to do it, if I was going to be involved with an iOS podcast, what would people be interested in? And okay. um, I, didn't, I didn't get a huge amount of feedback, but one of the bits that I did had um, get said, uh, less casual banter and talking about off-topic conversations like television. <laughs> uh, so, no, fail there. Well, look, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm perfectly happy to leave that in or take it out as, uh, as we see fit. We did kind of, um, uh, kind of jump around on a couple of different topics there as well as TV. Uh, maybe we'll, That's maybe I'll air it as a, uh, I'll air that part as a, um, oh, look, I'm as actually, a special. Only, only slightly joking as well. Anyway, in the sense that I did get that, um, that feedback, but I think, I don't think. There's any way of pleasing all of the people all of the time. How did that person feel about coffee talk? I don't think they wanted coffee talk either. No coffee cars. Talk. No cars. Cars. Just um. Can we do Doctor Who? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think they just wanted iOS stuff. I don't understand. I and don't I th- understand. Look, I, I think in that particular in that particular vein, I think we're on the same page. I mean, we we've in coming up with the, this uh, whole mobile couch thing. Um, I mean, we've as we discussed it. I think we were all on the same page that we want to focus mostly on the development talk and less on the the news and the banter and that sort of stuff. That being, that being said, the banter is important because otherwise nobody's ever going to get to know us. So, uh, so I uh, like uh, so. Yeah, there'll be less. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll try and keep the banter to a minimum. But I think. Uh, I think it's important, so I think we'll, you know, some of it will, will stay in. Although and probably probably not half an hour of talking about um, TV <laughs> and licensing. And look, as Caleb mentioned, um, I think the fact that none of us are working in offices at the moment means that we do need a chance to chat with yeah, other people. That's right. Have a that's right. Yep. We we need to be able to to just you know be casual and relaxed. Amanda doesn't like talking about TV licensing deals with me. It's incredible. My wife doesn't either. I oh, see. My my wife does. My wife <laughs> will talk to me for it about it for hours. So, uh, and then she has to listen to me go on about it on Jelly and Bean. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, so, guys, um, I today I uh, I got an email. I've been kind of teeing up this thing. Actually, it all kind of folds in together because uh, I've been teeing up with a a, a web comic. Um, I don't know producer artist i don't know what you i don't know what you call them to do an applic like to to take over an application for them that they released a while ago so oh, cool as of this morning literally uh i've inherited a code base for a um an application that basically is a, a comic viewer like it it's for viewing the webcomic uh on your mobile phone awesome um, <laughs> do, do, do we have a name? Uh, I'm okay. not. I, I don't want to go into that uh, just at the moment because I'm not sure of exactly how much I'm allowed to say about who it is. Uh, it's just it's a it's a web comic that I I read and uh, he. It's had, Adventure Time, isn't it? No, it's not. <laughs> it's really not. <laughs> 
Uh, no, adventure. Oh. To get, you, I'm just kidding. If, I don't even know if, what adventure time is. <laughs> I just know you like it. Yes, I do like it. But uh, if but adventure time is what got me into the big rant about uh, licensing on Jelly and Bean, so let's not get me go. Let's not get all me right, started so you, on you, that. You inherited a code base. So I inherited so, this code base, which is all in C sharp, I think. Which is oh, all right. It's an. So apple, is it's this an, using MonoTouch? It is. It is using MonoTouch. Ah, oh, interesting. There's uh, actually quite a few apps out there using MonoTouch. Is there? I don't. I don't really know. I've. I'd never heard of it until this point. Is that yeah. a cross-platform deal? So it's um. My understanding is so Mono is the open source implementation of .NET or uh, so Microsoft's um, APIs and uh, the C sharp programming language. Um, and Mono Touch is a project that allows you to that bridges to the Cocoa APIs from Mono. So you can use all of the kind of Mono foundation classes and stuff and you can use c-sharp as a language but you can access the cocoa apis as well um and i think you can still use interface builder and yeah yeah it has it has nibs and stuff in it uh or or xibs i don't don't know that it has them in it uh and some stuff like that i i'm basically my first task in 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 this uh in this new project in this new venture is to rewrite it entirely entirely in objective c so i'm going to be i'm going to be ditching this the c sharp uh and just basically porting it all that being said uh this is a this is essentially a new project for me so and i and you know i've i've produced uh you know i've produced at least one app in my time uh, that is, uh, you know, that's available anyway. That I, I um, do, which is progressions, which you guys have both seen. And Caleb, mm-hmm. you do do a little bit of testing here and there for me. I do. Uh, so, what I wanted to ask was, what you guys think would be, we, we like, I'm basically open to doing this, uh, doing this differently to the way that I do progressions. In that, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I've kind of gotten into a thing where I do that, that, I, that I have with progressions but um, progressions for me is just a, a me thing I produce it I'm basically my own client like I don't uh, I get you know I get the odd uh, request here and there on my support site or I get a bug you know a, a bug submitted to me or whatever uh, but at the end of the day like if I don't really want to do it I won't do it um, but in this new case I'm basically working with a client because mm-hmm. the guy that runs the comic is my client now. Um, so I was I was wondering what you guys thought uh, of uh, as far as um, setting this project up and how how I should how you think I, guys think I should go about it. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't really know what to say. Um, I mean, are you thinking in terms of issue tracking or um, communicating priorities and? Organizing the source code and all of that sort of stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, the first thing that I'm going to be doing is I'm going to check in uh, the source code as it exists now, which is all C sharp, and then I'll basically delete it all <laughs> and uh, and and start again. Uh, so, can I ask, is this a paid app? Does that do end users have to part with their money in order to download it, or is it a free app in order to get more people reading the? My understanding the is that it's going to be free. 
Yeah. Uh, so it will have, and this, there there are a few things in it that are going to be in it that I'm that I haven't really dealt a lot with before. Uh, one of those being um, in-app purchases. All right. Yeah. So you'll be able to buy uh, copies of the eBooks that the the, um, the the of the comic, mm-hmm. uh, which are you know high high quality vector uh, eBooks. Um, and that might give you a suggestion as to what comic it is, but you guys probably don't know what it is. Uh, so that being said, like, uh, there, you know, there's a few new bits and pieces in there. So the re- the reason I asked about whether it's paid or free is have you considered doing the development uh, as open, open source project? Would there be anything to stop you committing the source code to something, you know, a public GitHub repository? All right. Well, I mean, I'm I'm definitely going to put it into a GitHub repository. My thinking at this point in time was that it was going to be uh, was going to be private. Uh, part of the reason for that is that uh, is that I don't like it's it's going to be uh, basically calling on his website for certain right. services. I don't think he wants to kind of open himself up to being. Um, yeah. Okay. So it's not necessarily a public API. No. No. But I mean, and the whole in-app purchase thing as well. Might, you might want to keep it a bit private. Yeah. yeah. So the reason I was asking is I recently, one of the projects I started most recently, I actually started as an open source project on GitHub. Um, and that was, it was an interesting decision because I, um, it was a client project as well. Um, and in discussions with the client, um, basically decided that it would be best for the license to the code to be an open source one at the end of the project so that I'd still be able to use source code that I'd written uh, for the client in future projects and the client would be able to use the source to do whatever they want with as well. Um, and so having made the decision that the final thing would be open source, I kind of thought, well, why, why don't I develop it all from the get-go uh, in a public Git repository? Right. Um, which is interesting. Doing that kind of made me, initially made me take, I think, greater care with things because I had this sense that people could be watching. Yep. Um, and then I very quickly realised that no one actually cares and... <laughs> Uh, I don't think a single person has come across that particular repository. So I started letting myself get away with the normal stuff that I let myself get away with, unfortunately. Um, but it was an interesting exercise to sort of uh, develop something kind of in public. With that being said, do you want to throw the, the link to that particular oh, repository sure, right. in the show notes? Yep. So and, that any of our just, listeners can get into it? Yeah, sure. And and the code is there. Uh, I think the version that's sitting there now is the one that's going to be submitted to the App Store. So it's being submitted uh, this month. Uh, and it's a an app for the National Library of Australia to browse their collection of digital sheet music. So there might be some stuff in there that would interest you in terms of um, going through, you know, downloading something that's got a series of pages and navigating through the pages and stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. That, that would be a lot of help. I might actually check that out for myself. I actually used a, an open source project myself in that. I used a, a project called Nimbus, which um, I think is a, is a fantastic open source project and it has a great photo gallery kind of um, module in there. So, so, for, so what's Nimbus? So Nimbus is um, it's an open source iOS project. And I think it was developed as the kind of um, it came out of the ashes of 320, which was a Facebook's um, really yeah. early library that um, some of the Facebook developers put out. Yeah, I I remember that one, and it got yeah. really it got really big and bloated uh, right from, from memory. Exactly. So it became a bit of the kitchen sink. Like um, 320 had a whole heap of stuff in it, but if you wanted to use any individual element of it, you had to use all of it, and it was a bit unwieldy. So um. 
three. Uh, sorry, Nimbus was done by uh, I think a guy that took over maintaining three twenty. And right. um, when I started using Nimbus, I read up a little bit about its genesis, and I think he had a little bit of a kind of life changing moment. Of uh, I can't remember precisely what the circumstances were, but someone close to him may have had an illness, or even he did, and um, he realised that life was too short to uh, worry about messing with a whole heap of kind of crufty legacy code and so then kind of started Nimbus from the ground up as a really modular and lightweight library and that's one of the things I've enjoyed about it that um, basically it's very modular and if you want to use just one part of it, so I used uh, the photo gallery part, then it makes its dependencies really clear. You just use Nimbus core and then Nimbus photo gallery um, and then those two modules are all you need if you want to do the photo bits and but there's a whole heap of other modules for, for doing other other bits and pieces. Uh, it seems it seems really well done. Um, it's it's not. I think it's uh, only just gone one point zero. Um, okay. But it's been around for for a while and it's had lots of people contributing to it. Um, yeah, it's a good code base. Excellent. That sounds. Uh, I might have to check that out. Do you have any Do you have any suggestions for me, uh, Caleb? As far as anything, really. What Probably you, what? Uh, AF networking. I'm pretty sure everyone uses that one. Okay. I don't actually know. I've I, I do have some uh, some calls that I make um, with, with with progressions, but I don't actually know what I used. I've forgotten. Yeah, my understanding is that pretty much anyone that makes any kind of calls at all is using AF networking. I haven't used it yet. We're we're doing a we just started a rewrite of Trickle, and we're we're going to be using it for that. Oh, excellent. yeah. I I I use AF networking as well. I think it's great. Oh, and also, yeah. and the reason you might want to look at it, that the guy that does AF networking, his name's like Matt, M-A-T-T-T-T-T-T-T or something like that. Yep. Um, he he has another one that deals specifically with the the store, the, the store kit. Ah, excellent. Which Makes is, the whole which store would, kit thing a lot easier. Yeah, so I'd be able to use that for... Uh, for the new one. For the new one, for, to, for the in-app purchases. Yes, of the new mystery comic app. Yes, yes. Actually, I have. See, I have. I have two apps in the works that I'm kind of. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of negotiating with, with the with the you know clients with. Uh, so there's this one that I've just explained to you guys. I also have another one which is, uh, which is a little bit more tricky, and I haven't really. I haven't really committed to anything yet. Uh, because of the just the manner of it. Uh, so one of the comic, one of the other comic, I have a background in the web comic scene. Uh, so I I have a lot of comics that I read online and stuff like that. Uh, one of the guys that I actually, one of the guys that actually follow his work, uh, he does. He's been doing this thing every every few months where he offers a bundle of comics um, DRM free at whatever price you want to pay so you can come in you can pay a dollar and you can get all the comics and you can walk away happy Um, his last venture with this that he did on Kickstarter went so well that he's decided to open up a webcomic store online where you can buy ebooks of webcomics and pay any sort of price uh, whatever price that you want, and get them DRM free. One of the things that I suggested—I mean, I, I, I immediately got onto him and was like, "Hey, 
what would you be interested in doing an app for this and he's like yeah well um i'd be interested in doing it but i need to it needs to be that you can pay whatever price that you want uh and if possible getting around the the in-app purchasing how do you guys think that you would go around about about doing that i mean one of the things that i have seen is uh is that is generally popular is to basically send people off to a web store into into their safari browser or whatever and then have it come back to the app to download and 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 view right so i think the the um app store guidelines allow you to have an app that makes offers um sort of services to people that have an account so that they can use the app to access stuff associated with their account so i think that's how the kindle reader works right so you can mm-hmm. buy new kindle ebooks through amazon's website and if you use the kindle app on your ios device you can access those books mm-hmm. um but i think i don't know it seems it seems kind of risky like i if i was doing that i'd want to do as little development as possible before submitting something to the store and just seeing if it gets approved and seeing if it actually works kind of um you know gets through apple's uh guidelines because there's always the risk that they'd reject something like that, you know, if you're trying to circumvent the in-app purchase yeah, or app yeah. store. So one of the one of the, I mean, what what kind of got me thinking about doing uh, something a little bit different is, did you hear the news fairly recently? I think it was a, it was a couple of weeks back that uh, Amazon is really, is opening up their own MP3 store for iPhones. No, I didn't. Okay, so Amazon is opening up an MP3 store for iPhones. <laughs> uh, they basically, it's going to be a website that you can load up in your uh, in your browser, and I think it. I think you can then like put it into your spring your springboard your home mm-hmm. home screen and open it up as if it's an an app. Uh, you know, quotes quote app. Uh, and then, so you buy your MP3s through that, and then they have this other app, which is uh, which is a player, which actually goes into the. We'll, we'll, you can buy, download from the from the app store, uh, or will be able to rather. I don't think it's out yet. Um, where you can you can basically da- download that and then stream it, mm. uh, stream your stream your music down to like, or, or download your music to that particular app. Yeah. And essentially, then you have. A reader, a listener, I don't know, yeah. for player. the music. A player, there you go. A player for the music uh, and a web app for purchasing. Yeah, yeah. And so I think that would work with the restrictions, right? I think that would get around them. But it's kind of a less than ideal user experience. It would be really nice for it, for the purchase and the um you know, use of the thing that you've purchased to all take place in the same environment. But I, I understand, you know, you got to work with the restrictions that are in place. Yeah. I wonder if um the subscriptions would let you, you know, what uh, so I, I believe you know Instapaper, for example, had a a subscription in-app purchase subscription, which was a way for people who really liked the products to sort of give extra money mm-hmm. uh, to the developer. Um, I think that it has to be for a feature, like you can't ask people to pay for nothing at all. Yep. Um, but if you're giving them access to a greater amount of content because of their payment, then I think the subscription might be a way of doing it. And maybe you could set it up so it's got different subscription price points depending on what people want to pay. 
it's a pretty good idea. I mean, if the guy's already working on a pay what you will model, yep, you you could set it up where you just subscribe. You you pay a monthly subscription, you get all you, you know, all access to all the comics. You know, that's not too much different than a pay what you want model. Yeah, you know. Actually, that's that's a really good, uh, really good suggestion, and I hadn't I hadn't actually thought of using the subscription like that. And you uh, could have three different price points for the exact same thing. You know, you can have your ninety nine cents, your two ninety nine, and your nine ninety nine. Do you think? Uh, do you guys think that Apple would have a problem with that? Look, I, I think that it might come down to. I mean, you know, the App Store review is such a a random thing anyway. I think it comes down to who's reviewing it on what day, what they're feeling like, what they have for breakfast. Um, but I, I think that if you pitched it so that the three different price points bought you slightly different stuff, right, uh, and maybe the only difference is the type of membership you've got. and um, you, you get you a know, little uh, badge or something that says you're a premium member. Right, and so, so you know, the pay what you pay, pay what you will model gives you a, you pay whatever you like and you get access to the same content. But if you've chosen to pay a greater price for that content then you get you know a gold card or yes something that makes you feel good about having parted with so much cash and something that other people can see that you parted mm. with so much cash and you're not cheap like they are god do you guys remember that app like you know early early days of the app store that was ten thousand dollars yeah. and all it was was, a, yeah. was an icon yeah, yeah. What there was? Oh, what was it called? I am, I am, rich. I am rich. Yeah, I am rich. And all it was was when you opened up the app, it had like a a picture of a ruby or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. I remember Just that. Just so, so you could you could show others that you'd spent so much money on. Apparently, yeah. And apparently, when when uh when when the one of the one of the Android stores opened up, uh, somebody basically ported that app, <laughs> if you can call it ported, uh, to Android. And it didn't do as well. <laughs> that's that's the news that I that's that's the news that I heard. I, I'm probably I'm sure if I tried to follow that up and, and actually Google for it, I'd never you know, find it because it's too long ago now. Look, and that might actually show you that Android users are more discerning. Maybe uh, I would I would uh, go so far as to say that that means that Android users are less likely to part right, with, with their cash. So if it if it didn't. Do as well on Android. You're saying at least one person bought a ten thousand dollar app. <laughs> who kn- who on knows? IOS? Oh no, oh, yeah, they, they yeah, did. Yeah, iOS one sold. Really? They they yeah, sold they sold quite a few copies of it. I think they sold like thirty or so copies at least that I know of. Uh, I remember seeing at the same time news about that particular app. Um, somebody bought it by accident and then wanted to get a refund and couldn't because. They'd already paid. They because the way that the app store works is that all sales are final. And you don't get refunds, which isn't the case anymore. Which isn't you, the case. You can yeah, you can yeah. get refunds. But at the time, at the time, they were very, very stingy. And this, there was this news that was just kind of circulating that you know somebody was trying to get a refund because they'd accidentally bought it. And so uh, it does make you realise that. You know, we all bitch and moan about Apple's kind of restrictions, but um, you can kind of understand if, given the sorts of stuff people try and try and do, yeah. you can understand why they have that clause that you know we can make up any rule anytime we want as well, right? Yeah, for exactly. any reason, because who, you can't who really foresee sort of that stuff people are going to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 
to kind of move along, um, what like I, my method for dealing with uh, with issues and stuff with progressions is that I just kind of keep track of them all in giant text file, uh, which you know is probably a really bad way to work. Because, but it works for me because it basically allows me to write my uh, my update notes as I go, and I just kind of work on it that way. Um, so, but with this, obviously, that's not going to really work because I need to be able to work with somebody. I guess uh, what 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 would you guys suggest as far as uh, like um, setting up a issue, like dealing with issues and uh, and feature lists and stuff like that. So, yeah, uh, yeah I, I do pretty much the same thing as you, maybe a tiny bit more advanced, because I use, I use Basecamp, but it's still, you know, just a list. So I'll set up, you know, uh, a to-do list in Basecamp for the, the 1.0 release and put everything on there, and then I'll set up a second list for the 1.0.1, which anything that's not going to make it 1.0 goes in there, and then all my wish list goes into 1.1 or something like that. And then, then I can start moving stuff around between those lists. Yep. And that works pretty well for me, you know? Um, but yeah, I I don't, I don't use any issue tracking software or anything like that. Jake. So I've used a bunch. Um, the one I've probably used most in the, in bigger projects is, uh, Atlassian's Jira. Have you guys heard of Jira? Yeah, I used to use that in the public service. <laughs> okay, so you're not going to feel I have a lot of love for it then. <laughs> Probably not. Look, I quite liked some some things about it. The thing that I liked about it, um, one of the things is is it dealt really well with software versions. So you could have um, issues against the version of software that they affect um, and also identify the fixed version, the version you plan to address those issues in. Yep. So I, I kind of like that in the sense that once you've got a release out there, um, it lets you keep track of what bugs are reported in that in that version and then think about, um, you know, if you've got a 1.0 out there um, and a 2.0 under development, then you might also, you know, start thinking about doing a 1.1 at some point to fix, you know, fix any big issues that you've come across. Um, and it was kind of good at handling those sorts of things. You could have uh, multiple versions set up and move issues between them and think, well, you know, is this a big enough uh, bug that I actually need to address it before the next major release or could could we leave it for the next major release and stuff like that? Um, but the thing I didn't like about it is that it seems like um, Atlassian may have suffered a little bit from saying yes too much to too many different people. So when I first started using Jira, it was... Uh, I chose it because it was really simple uh, compared to the others out there like Bugzilla, I think I was comparing it to. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is a while back now. Yeah. Um, but since then, it seems like Juris has gotten so much more complex. It's got a gazillion fields and uh, you can apply different permissions to the different fields and you can have uh, custom issue workflows and then, yeah, that it, you can spend so much time configuring it um, that you end up spending more time configuring it than actually using it. So... Uh, at the completely other end of the spectrum, uh, the um, that National Library of Australia app that I did, um, mm-hmm. I used a hosted service called App Trajectory, which is um, is really a kind of uh, for doing user stories if you're doing a sort of agile development. Um, mm-hmm. And it integrates well with GitHub in that um, 
each user story you can then associate with a feature branch in GitHub um, and it will then keep any of your um, commits sort of associated with that story on app, tra app tra tra trajectory. Um, and that was really, really like basically it's you got a, two fields, a title and a description for each issue. Uh, and you can assign how many points you think it is. So, you know, relative complexity is at a one point or two point or four point kind of task. Um, yeah, and it's sort of geared around that style of development. And I found that um, nice to use as well. So I guess it depends. Have either of you ever used uh, the built-in GitHub issue tracking? I don't. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, I haven't either. I'd I, I, I've been meaning to. Yeah, no, I've I was just I was literally just now as as Jake was talking, uh, completely ignoring him and talking yeah, and and re looking up the the uh, the GitHub one, yeah. uh, and it looks like it looks like it uh, it's um, pretty good. I mean, may, I maybe I'll use that and and, and uh, I like how you can nice... um, you can close your your issues in your commit messages. So in the message, you can just say fixed number one thirty five. Or whatever, and that will close the issue. Yeah, I might. Okay. Uh, maybe what I'll do is uh, in in this project, I'll use that particular issue tracker, given that I'll be using GitHub regardless of whether it's public or private, uh, and and then let you guys know what I think. That might yeah, be the way to go. Good. Sounds that might good. Be the way to go. So stay tuned. And I think there's a, there's a nice iPad app for the GitHub issues. Is there? And I can't remember what it's called. I will have but, to look that up as well. I'm very, very interested to know about that. Yeah, that's something that I think is missing. Like, you know, for example, Jira has obviously a massive product with lots of people working on it. But, um, you know, there's no iOS client specifically for it, um, at least that I've found. Um, yeah, and I mean, I, I think I agree with you as far as Jira, like um, to kind of step back a couple of a couple of steps. Uh, and in that it was just when I was using it, uh, it was, it was kind of like uh, three twenty was three twenty, right? Yeah, and it was just just, just this had kind of thing. It had yeah, every single feature had, under the sun that you could ever possibly use. Yeah, and I, I I never ever needed that much in all honesty when I was when I was doing. I think you can sets. understand how that can come about. That if you're in the business of providing sort of enterprise software and you've got a potential sale, and the customer says, "Look, we love this and would buy a thousand seats of it." If only it could integrate with our weird time tracking system we use. Yeah. You'd be yeah. like, yeah, sure, we'll do the half-day work, get that in there, um, and then have it as an option. Exactly. And what's worse is that they will, they will sell you feature updates as if they're trying to get you to buy the software, they'll say, yeah, we'll do three features for you or something like that. And then they just add that into the code base and everyone gets it. Mm. And yeah, well, that's how they that's how they pay for their uh, for for the work that they do on on this software. Um, I know I know of at least a uh, company who used to do or still does. I would I would guarantee you, uh, they do CMS software for government offices. Uh, for big government offices, obviously, because um, a lot of the little ones use. Uh, much more simple software. Um, I'm not going to name names, mostly because I can't remember what it's called. But uh, one of the things that they did was they would y you bought the software and it was super expensive, like it was hundreds of thousands of dollars um, to license this, you know, f basically. 
and then part of that was that they would add features to the code base for you and it would just all it would do is it would add directly into the rest of the rest of the system so as an example uh the place that i was working geoscience australia they uh they required it to have a certain level of um i don't know uh what's the word back and forth with the higher ups so it had to be everything had to be signed off by you know this guy and then by that guy and then by the guy you know the guy above him uh and then once that guy had signed on of it then it could go out on the website uh which is fairly typical i think for government and so but this wasn't in the original software so part of the part of the deal that they had with the guys that provided it was that you 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 build it into the code base and it becomes a regular feature and then we will take it mm. so i can i can certainly imagine how that sort of software can kind of get into a state where it's just everything but that being said like there are i think that there is a cap- there is the capability of having all of that sort of stuff but still being simple there is kind of a line that you can walk with that yeah it is difficult but you, you it can be done like and look and in in atlassian's defense as well they i think they do a good job like so you know there are still things i enjoy about jira um and although it can be on the pricey end of software if you've got lots and lots of people using it i think they'd still do a 10 user license for $10. Yeah. Um, so for, you know, people doing sort of indie development or in small teams, um, it can be uh, inexpensive, although then you still got to find somewhere to host it. Um, but they've also got a continuous integration product called Bamboo, which I actually think is, is one of the simplest and nicest out there. Um, there's a lot of open source continuous integration stuff um, that it's competing with, but there are fewer commercial ones but um bamboo i i really do like um probably because it has fewer options and a simpler interface um yeah yeah. it's interesting continuous integration isn't something i've found i've needed to do for a lot of my ios projects it's probably only something um if there's lots of people working on the code base um Let's say, for instance, um, one of the listeners didn't know what continuous integration was. <laughs> for, for instance, would you want to right. explain it to that listener? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's um, as it might sound, right? Continually integrating. Uh, so in environments where you get lots of developers working on code base, um, if the process for building your software it relies on someone sitting down in front of their computer and running a build script, or you know, just compiling it on their machine and then packaging it up for, for delivery to wherever, for testing or distribution, um, then there's always a risk that, you know, that the code that that developer's got on their machine might not actually represent the um, most recent code, ba- code base that someone else may have made a change that was committed to the repository that that person didn't get before they did the build and all sorts of stuff like that. So continuous integration is... Um, the idea is that you continually integrate your work. So all of the developers would commit their code to the shared code repository. uh, And then uh, a build server would check out that code at regular intervals and uh, automatically build the, um, the app for, for distribution to uh, test devices or to the app store. Um, And you could either have it so that you've got a nightly build or something like that running, or um, so that it's continually running based on every single commit to the code repository. Um, and the nice thing about that that second one, having it run continuously, is that you can also integrate 
testing with it. So um, just the fact that the software will actually compile and build is, you know, one level of testing. So that if you've got a build server running after every single commit, um, then you can very quickly find out if someone broke the code base by committing something that didn't make any sense or, um, you know, a really common thing that I do all the time is uh, I'll add some files to my project uh, and then I'll commit my code to the source repository and I'll forget to add the code, add the files that I've just added to the project to the repository as well. Uh, and if you're just doing it on your own machine, you could go a long time before you realize that those, those files actually never made it into the source repository. Um, but if you've got a continuous integration server running, um, you know, it would do a build straight away and then give you a notification that the build failed because the code couldn't be compiled because some classes were missing. Um, but again, it's the sort of tool that's useful, I guess more useful for bigger teams um, and where there's a more complex build process perhaps. Um, lately, the way I've been sort of getting test builds out um, is using Xcode on my machine and just doing an archive. Um, and I've got Hockey app uh, set up for distributing test builds to people. Um, and Hockey app comes with a Mac app that you can download uh, that goes with it. And you can do a post uh, build step in the archive in Xcode. You can configure it. So um, as one of the things it does after an archive is to fire up the Hockey app Mac client and then it will automatically um, upload your archive build to Hockey app for distribution to your testers. So basically I just go, you know, Xcode archive, it does the build and then the next thing I know I've got a little hockey app window to type my release notes into um, and then I click OK and it uploads it and sends a notification out to my testers that there's a new build ready for them to test. Yeah, I use the same, I use hockey app as well. I use the same system for uh, f- for, for d- distributing test tests to uh, beta testers. Mm. I also, I don't know if you do this, I also submit uh all my um live apps as well to hockey app not to te- not to the distrib like not as a distribution to testers but i just i have i have it set up for you know a beta version and a, a live version which i can um put all those into and it uh because the hockey app has all the um Oh, provisioning profiles and well, because well, because it ha- takes it, it takes care of some crash stuff and uh mm. and logs and so- that sort of stuff um if you submit the if you submit the code base or the or rather the packaged archive for that particular app, it will you, you get all the all the benefits of the of the uh, the crash reports and stuff. Yeah, I haven't used the hockey app crash reporting in a production app, just in in beta ones. Um, so I well, I mean, what I've got, I've the way that I've got progressions set up is that I have a couple of different uh, what are they profiles? I forget. Some of the terminology in Xcode. Yeah, no, I, I think I think it is a build profile. So what, that's what, yeah. like, you've got debug. Yeah, okay. So I've got I've got or... those profiles. That's yep. actually not what I was. <laughs> okay. that, that's not the word. That it is a, a word in Xcode, but it's not the one I was looking for. Uh, scheme. I was just opening up Xcode to f- right, find yeah. out what it is. But I, I've got a couple of different schemes uh, for my for my progressions so what i have is i have a regular the regular one which is just progressions and then i have progressions release which is my release uh, which is what i use to release it so i do my my regular one is all set up so that when i archive it archives as a uh, as an ad hoc build which then and goes to 
which then goes to Hockey App as a yeah. As a Do you have version. the Hockey App integration set up so it bumps your build number each time and? So I don't have that set up with Hockey App, and actually the way that I've got it set up is a little. It kind of conflicts with Hockey App because my build number I actually encode as hex uh, rather than just straight a straight number, right. which Hockey App has problems with. Oh, it doesn't doesn't know what comes. Yeah, in what order it, it, they it, go? It thinks that you know if I have a, a build number which is like uh, let's say one three a four. Right, uh, it just assumes that it's now ver- this is the build number is actually thirteen, like one mm. three, and then the A four must be something else, and it doesn't actually apply. Um, so then, if you if I have B, then B is higher. But if I have if pre- previous to that I've got one three nine nine, mm. then that suddenly becomes higher still mm. than the than the ones after it. So I have prob- I have a few problems with my. Uh, the way that I've got it set up, so but I do have it set up to automatically increase that number, uh, although not through Hockey App. Yeah, so I used um, I just started a new project myself um, like the last couple of weeks, and uh, although I've used Hockey App a heap before, I hadn't actually uh, got it to the point where it would automatically increment my build number. Uh, and I went through; they've got some good documentation about their recommendations for the best practice for doing that, mm-hmm. um, and so I did that this time. Uh, you know, the, the, at the outset, um, and it's actually quite nice. So, you know, every time I do an archive, uh, it keeps the. Um, I can't remember. There's two, right? There's the bundle version, and yeah, the- there's the there's the uh, there's the uh, the major like the major what version one that is like you know version one point three or whatever it is. Yeah, uh, and then you have like the build number. Although the the, the way that they're named in the like in Xcode is really odd. Yeah, look, to be honest, I hadn't really realized what the difference was in Xcode until I read Hockey App's guide to best practices, and now yeah. I realize. Yeah, so the, the bundle version's string short is the the large number, so it's the 1.3. Kind of like the marketing number, right? It's the number or that you tell people, or, right? Yep. So this, yep. is, this is version 2 of this software. That's what this is, the bundle version string, comma, short. <laughs> the, the other one... Uh, and I'm going to have a little bit of trouble finding this because it may not be directly in here. But it's just bundle version. There it is. Right. It's just bundle version, <laughs> which it seems like to me it should be the other way around, but yeah, uh, uh, it's um, it's weird. But um, yeah. So I have I have both of those set up. So my current bundle version for Xcode for for pro- progressions is one three five two. And in a few builds, I'm going to get to the point where it goes over to one three a something, uh, and then I'm going to have all sorts of fun. Even even just going through the through the motions with each of the you know each ten, <laughs> I get into the I get into the last letters, and then suddenly my hockey app is like, you have a new build available on hockey. Would mm-hmm. you like to install it now? And so what's the benefit of this hex number? Are you just making it hard for yourself? I'm just making it hard for myself. Uh, it, lo- it looks kind of cool, though. It does like, look doesn't cool. Doesn't Apple use hex numbers for they Xcode? They do. They use, yeah. they use, uh, they use le- they've got a uh, higher base than uh, just 10. So basically all it does is it in- I- I- is my version number is just encoded in a higher base format. 
So rather than base 10, which is standard, you know. So you can use fewer characters to represent more builds. Yeah. So it looks like I've done less builds than I actually have. So for when, if you actually see, for instance, a hundred as my being, as being my current build number, it's actually a lot more than that because uh, I've gone through alphabetical characters as well. Uh, Usually in hex, it means that I've got uh, an additional six because it goes, you know, uh, one to zero and then eight F. But Jelly, I think we need to intervene here. I think Caleb's right. You're making life hard for yourself. I may have to I change. Think, uh, <laughs> one, two, three, four, five works for me. Most of the time, like it does, it does uh, kind of it does go through to my app. You, if you open up progressions, you will see the the build version. Um, but mostly, I mean, mostly that doesn't change. I change the I I uh, up. I bump the uh, the bundle version string short every time I do a actual release. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, I, pro- I probably am making it a bit hard for myself. Yeah. Oh, well, look, I'm really I'm looking forward to seeing uh, what this app's all about. Are we going to be able to do beta testing? I will. Uh, I will see what I can do to swing that um, because the comic is uh, is very interesting. I do like I. The part of the reason that I got involved with this was because uh, because I'm a fan of the comic and I, I enjoyed. I've enjoyed reading it, and you know I've, um, I, I've. It's been a long time since I've been able to do my own comic because I'm just so busy. But uh, but being able to you know produce an app which you know I can. I can um, do up, which is, it's, I mean, it's a fairly simple app because it's just a, you know, it's just a basically browsing the through the comic archives and stuff like that. Uh, so being able to do this is kind of my way of, uh, you know, giving giving to the web comics community without actually having to produce my own comic every day, which I've done, and is quite a quite a drain on you. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. But I mean, they're the best sort of projects to work on as well. Ones that you you want to use yourself. Ones yeah. that you'd really enjoy. So it's one of those. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to, to to doing this. So I'll see what I can do to swing you guys in as as uh, as beta testers. Cool. Well, you know me; I love my comics. So get me on that beta test. Almost right. as much as I love my uh, musical charts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, look, yeah, everyone loves beta tester for you. Yeah, yep. but Caleb beta tests progressions for me, and uh, he he gets the builds. I'm I'm fairly certain he doesn't know at all what he's supposed to be doing with this with this app. No, I just press buttons until something breaks. <laughs> but every now and then I'll get an I'll get an email saying it doesn't it doesn't do this. It's uh it's it doesn't work. I I, I tried um what was the the last email I got from you was I tried log out of Dropbox logging out of Dropbox and I couldn't do it. It didn't do anything. And I'm like ah. Oh. Thanks, Caleb. Would you ever want to look yeah. out? I don't know what I don't know what the app is supposed to do, but I know when something goes wrong. He he knows when it doesn't log out of Dropbox. Yeah. Speaking of speaking of logging out, I think that's all we're gonna where all we'll do for this episode. Uh, I think that's a pretty good place to to wrap it up for the first for the first the inaugural episode, which is great. Hang on, were you recording? I was recording. I was recording all of that, and it was amazing. <laughs> Right. Oh, see you next week then. So, uh, if anybody would like to uh, check out the show notes, which we will now go and uh, collect together and, and put on the website for you, you can do that. Uh, they will be available at jellystyle.com forward slash podcasts forward slash mobile couch forward slash one, because this is the first episode. Uh, you can get in contact with us on the website. Uh, it is jellystyle.com dot com forward slash contact 
and that will go through to all three of us so we can all uh hang out and and talk talk to you about things that you want us to do like for instance not talking about uh tv licensing for hours on end yes indeed and if you do have any questions please uh please post them and we'll try and address them yeah absolutely uh if you'd like to talk to us individually individually uh you can do that as well if you preferred not to talk to me or not to talk to caleb although i don't know why you wouldn't uh you can you can contact us on twitter uh do you guys want to give your twitter details sure Thanks. i'm jay mcmullen j-m-a-c-m-u-l-l-i-n and caleb i am i don't know how to pronounce it at t-h-r-s-n thrusen 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 uh yeah so guys thanks for listening uh to our first ever episode of mobile couch we will see you when we come back in probably two weeks time in a fortnight thanks bye